today's episode i'm going to be talking about my recent trip to egypt and i am going to talk about title tracks in bond movies and some trivia around that and welcome to the bantaman we are navin and rishi just two guys talking about things that interest us mostly to amuse one another and occasionally to learn something these are freewheeling conversations about things that interest and fascinate us one of us talks about a hobby or interest and the other takes more of a curious person role we take turns being socrates and plato if you want to be highfalutin about it all right here we go All right, welcome back listeners to today's episode. Uh we are calling this one Travelog, the return to Egypt because that's where my partner in crime uh Naveen was uh last week and that's why this episode is coming at you with very little hoopla and very little pre-hype. So Naveen, what do you want to talk about today about your uh, from your trip to Egypt? This is it was only a matter of time before we ended up talking about travel right um, <laughs> yeah true. but I'm, I'm really happy we're doing this with this specific thing because uh, this is also one of those times when we actually broke uh, one of our normal travel practices is okay. which is uh, never to go back to the same place i mean there are right. so many places to visit that you don't want to go back to the same place but then this was a really really special place hmm. um i just want to talk about when we went there the first time right mm-hmm. this is way back in 2010 and uh we went to uh, egypt it was quite a comprehensive thing we uh went to luxor we went to uh, abu simbel we did the whole thing right like right. Uh, aswan we sailed up and down the nile we did the whole uh, valley of the kings did did basically did all the major um, ancient sites right uh, before we ended up for a couple of days at uh, cairo uh this time we kind of took things very differently hmm. we spent uh 9 days just in cairo did not go anywhere outside the city right um uh, we went to the places that we wanted to that really interested us we spent as much time there as we wanted to right nice um like we went to the pyramids two separate times we went to the museum on two different days hmm. we spent a lot of time exploring the city as well walking around the city uh you know trying out different cafes that the bookstores and the cafes in that city are amazing so we went to a whole bunch of places Brilliant. we went to like a traditional book binding place so this whole thing was a very uh, it was a very city experience for us right you right. you you do realize you're doing the classic guy thing right this was your 20th anniversary trip you forgot to mention that ah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, oh well happy yes. happy anniversary thank you thank you for that yeah so yeah so uh, it it was it was quite uh, quite a dreamy uh, experience uh, both of us really really enjoyed it right like just standing and when we had all the time in the world so we we had time to just stand and just just look at the pyramids for as long as we wanted right um so it was a really really interesting experience we came away with a lot of beautiful memories uh, and also enough for a bunch of podcasts right stick that's what i like about it um, <laughs> so set the stage for us um uh, you know we we know you were there for 
uh, 9 or 10 days you mostly stayed in cairo you only saw the places you liked what were your expectations going in what surprised you uh, the main difference from last time was that uh, this time we did not have the burden of a heavy schedule hanging on us we'd been there before we'd seen all the things that had to be done so there was absolutely no pressure that way mm. we could do exactly what we wanted if all we wanted to do was like have luxurious breakfast and then stay in and relax all day we could just do that if we right. wanted right right so uh, that kind of gave us uh, the freedom to pick and choose the things that we wanted so uh, like like the museum itself right like mm. the first time we went um we had a list of things right like 25 things to see at the museum right and we just went from one to the other to the other to the oh, other yeah yeah this time we went there we spent like a considerable amount of time you know like 4 or 5 hours each time and it was brilliant because we were just exploring mm-hmm. right? we were just like uh walking amongst the artifacts there and there were so many different things and they're scattered all over the place it's right. like it it's a terrible museum uh, <laughs> if you look at it from that perspective it's right. like not very well organized but there is like a treasure trove of things to see yeah, yeah. so just walking around discovering small things um and it was brilliant that that was beautiful and right. we managed to do that with uh, many different parts of the uh, cairo experience so right. that was brilliant you know and, and one of the one of the feelings i always get when you go anywhere as a tourist right you're right you have this itinerary you have a list of check boxes to tick off um and you don't really get a flavor for the day to day life of let's say that city's citizens you know how does daily life go about where are the markets how what do they eat how do they live um so it sounds like uh, this time just because you had discarded the urgencies that go with tourism uh, you 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 probably got a flavor of that as well oh absolutely we uh, ate in local places where right. uh, you know you, you found the students would go there to eat right. it was easy to say which are the best eateries because they were the most crowded so you right. went there you kind of try and figure out and when you're doing that you're not dealing with the people who usually deal with tourists so oh yeah right. these are people leading their everyday lives right so there's a small grocery where we went to buy water and the guy was like he was so happy to see <laughs> us and then he hands us his card and he's like uh, no you're staying at the hotel but just give me a call when you need anything and i'll bring it over to your oh, hotel brilliant. he's like offering to sell us groceries right it was brilliant that way nice. so uh, so that was an entirely different because these guys don't have any agenda they're not trying to sell you anything right mm. and then mm. when that is the case everybody is friendly everybody is open right, right? and it was brilliant that was, was a brilliant was long, experience was language a problem uh we stayed in a very fancy part of uh, cairo right. uh, it's called zamalek right. it's on an island in the nile and that's where all the embassies are uh, located uh-huh. okay um they also have a couple of schools there so lots of students so english was widely spoken oh, okay. so even in the shops on the roadside shops the people would speak english right and uh, even if they did not you know i mean if you're buying something you just point and the yeah. guys like like telling yeah. you what it costs so it was quite all right nice. so yeah language was not a problem at all very cool okay so give us give us an idea of what you're going to talk about today then to sort of outline it for us and then we'll get into it ah okay so what are we going to talk about let me uh, look at it and tell you all right so uh, first i'm going to talk to you about uh, going into a burial chamber right Ooh. which is yeah i'm not going to tell you anything more about that till i get <laughs> okay. to it but okay. that's Ominous. the first thing i'm going to talk about it 
and then of course uh, we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite kings from um, the egyptian king right. a guy called akhenaten okay and how i think he was inspired by an everyday food to do what he did okay and uh, of course talking about food we also there's a very surprising thing about everyday egyptian food which okay. i want to share okay nice so those are the three things we will do today okay sounds brilliant actually um everything i know about egypt comes from playing assassin's creed odyssey on my xbox uh i got that wrong assassin's creed origins so <laughs> let's see i i might have a couple of pearls of wisdom to drop as we go along as well but oh fantastic you know what we should do i should actually probably see you playing it because oh, yeah. it'd be fantastic to see yeah, it come no, to life fun okay all right so let's take a short break and then we'll come back with the first segment which is about burial chambers oh yes um, a short uh, note about today's musical breaks we'll be using a few recordings i made while i was in uh, uh, cairo perfect so i think we'll kick off with uh, sounds from the kanel kalili market okay all right, right. here we awesome. go so on see you on the other side of the market that was an interesting soundscape uh, i'm sure there's a couple more coming up so uh, let's jump into the first thing that you said you wanted to talk about which was uh, going into a burial chamber oh yes so uh, this was about uh, how i went into the burial chamber of a pharaoh and what okay. i saw inside okay uh, this is really really interesting uh, because as we know uh, pharaohs are known for their fabulous graves right. uh, the pyramids are their tombs now all of these tombs all of these graves have a very specific pattern on how you enter them yeah. and uh, where you would see the sarcophagus right uh, and usually this setup is uh, is done specifically for a reason right, right. Uh, the whole reason why pharaohs were buried with so much treasure with so many of their personal belongings is that they believed in the afterlife right and the whole um process Re- of mummy- reincarnation reincarnation yeah. and the whole process of mummification and then putting all their things with them is that they could take it with them to the next life right in order to do this they also put in a lot of fail safes to stop thieves from uh coming and hmm. ransacking the place so right. uh, there would be false doors there would be like uh false chambers where you go down a path but you'd go to a chamber which would be empty um so it kind of makes this whole getting to the actual burial chamber a little tricky right so uh, the last time i went to a burial chamber was the last time i was in egypt and this was in the valley of the kings mm-hmm. and these were not like uh, the pyramids or the mastabas which you see in uh, giza right there's like a long narrow passage you walk in and okay. then there is a burial chamber and with some anti chambers and that's where you find all the um, the sarcophagus as well as all the go- burial goods along right. with them right right now the valley of kings was a different proposition because it was known as a place where kings were buried and there were these group of people who were there whose job it was to protect them and keep it protected right 
so they do and, not have to keep the mummy from rising, rising out again. of hamunaptra <laughs> yes. okay <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so th- that's the deal with the valley of the kings right so there's none of these elaborate tricks and uh, you know shafts to go through to get to the uh, burial place right. but here uh, when you come up, come into the more um, uh, what would i say monumental uh, tombs hmm, hmm. in uh, this is in you find them in giza and in sakara and dasur right uh, these are uh, you find the um, mastabas which are basically flat tombs hmm. um, and then after that came the uh, pyramids which were actually uh, devised by an architect called imhotep right um, so there that's where you find this all of these uh, secret passages and all of that right so while i'd been to a burial chamber in the valley of kings i had never been to one in the um, in any of the other tombs okay uh, the most popular one which everyone goes to is the one in the great pyramid that's khufu khufu's uh, right. great pyramid right, right? yeah uh, and there it's a back breaking thing because it's like you have to go down a chamber for down a shaft for a really long time mm-hmm. and the burial chamber does not have anything there are no markings it's just an empty chamber right, right? So this time uh, when we were in Sakara uh, I had the opportunity to go to the tomb of a pharaoh called Teti. Okay. And uh, what was interesting is that this burial chamber actually had hieroglyphics and it was decorated. Okay. It's so uh, and plus the uh, climb down was not that long as well. Okay. So I kind of jumped at the opportunity. Nice. Now uh, how you do is do this is you first enter um a shaft and okay. the shaft kind of goes down at a 45 degree angle right which means you're walking down right but the shaft is only about 4 feet high which means you're hunched Ooh. over forward and you're going down a descending shaft right so it's a little crazy it's it's scary it's uh, if you're claustrophobic it's going to be tough to do this and also if you have a bad back you can't do this right, right? right. so i kind of hunched over and walked like after a bit i found that if you walk like an ape like swinging your arms from side to side it was easier to do this nice so you go down that shaft uh, for about 40 or 50 feet and then you go into this small chamber where you can actually stand up mm-hmm. and from there there's yet another tunnel thankfully this is level right then you go through that tunnel and then you go to a um, main chamber with two anti chambers right and one of the anti chamber is a burial chamber ah okay now this whole place like the main chamber as well as the burial chamber was richly covered in hieroglyphics okay and um, we could outside the tomb we could see the cartouche mm. of the king mm. uh, which is actually the coffin right pretty much oh, oh. no no a cartouche is actually a symbol okay. uh, which uh, is the name of the king ah, it's right. like an elongated uh, circle with a line at one end okay. and inside is the in hieroglyphics the name of the king is written mm-hmm. now this is so we could we had seen uh, teddy's cartouche outside so i knew what i was looking for when i went in right there. and then there it was there were a lot of and a lot of places you could see his uh, name mm. and you could see it essentially um, uh, accounts of his life uh, right. written on the walls there um, and then you go into the anti chamber again through a small uh, shot um passage right and there was the sarcophagus with this name written on it um obviously the uh, the mummy and uh, all the grave goods had been taken away but mm. this was just like the, the stone sarcophagus was there right so it was quite in- interesting to see that and uh, the really cool thing was when you look up when you're right. inside the chamber and you look up the entire roof of the chamber is covered with stars okay it's decorated with stars the stars they they have a way of drawing them they look like small asterisks ah. so it was beautiful it was it was quite marvelous 
So my first time inside uh, like a monumental tomb was quite uh, fantastic. Nice. And uh, seeing the name of the king everywhere and then looking up and seeing the sky, it, nice. it totally made all that backbreaking walking uh, worth it. Right. So wait, I'm, I'm missing some details here. Uh, did you not enter the corridor where a boulder comes rolling down at you? <laughs> uh, what about the spike traps and the snakes no i, I just like skipped all through them <laughs> no lava oh, what a disappointment <laughs> all right no indiana jones has really spoiled us and my my career with assassin's creed hasn't <laughs> all right interesting so uh, one one question i did have on a more serious note mm-hmm. is um uh, you you talked about uh sort of going down this shaft and and so on and so forth so mm-hmm. um why why wouldn't they do this at pretty much every pyramid right um i mean you it sounded like you had to go to a very specific place and uh is it like a limited uh viewing or something you had to book this separately or um no 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 so uh you, there are a few pyramids where you can actually go they allow you to go down into the burial thing okay so see from from the tourist department's perspective they can't allow everybody to go into every pyramid so they want to control that okay just to make sure that you know they know uh, they have a way of controlling where the tourists go are going in and right. coming out right, right. Uh, but they also have to keep an eye on so if for example something happens to somebody there it's on them to take care of them oh good point so uh, and this is something um where there are a bunch of tourists who turn up and who start doing this without considering the physical aspect of it right and especially when they come in large groups they see everybody else in the group doing that yeah and, they, and mm. then they start doing no it's basically herd instinct they're not thinking about it right. they're just like oh everyone's doing i'm also going to do this and then you're halfway through one of these um if you get stuck in any of these it becomes painful after yeah, that right no i so, can imagine so uh, they essentially uh, prohibited entry into everything right they have entry into the great pyramid they have entry into teti's uh, right. tomb right. these are the only two places where they allow you to do this okay even back in the valley of kings there are just a few places where you can a uh, few of the tombs are open at any point in time okay only a few of the tombs are open no that that makes sense i mean i have a mild case of claustrophobia so i can just imagine what would happen if you know you just freeze right when you yeah. when you feel claustrophobic you just freeze Absolutely. so yeah, yeah yeah that would be crazy okay interesting and uh um, last question on the stars that you mentioned were they just carvings or were they like inlaid with precious stones or something and they would have been inlaid with paint at some point paint right. or even uh, lapis lazuli or uh, right. turquoise so or semi-precious uh, carnelian uh, stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. so th- there's a whole bunch of that would have been done right but this is several thousand years old right we're talking about 4000 year old tombs and which had been repeatedly uh, raided right for many different things by many different people so none of that is left but okay. thankfully <laughs> the the carvings are still there right um these are made in dark uh, basalt so which means they've um, held their uh, shapes really well so it is very beautiful i have nice. i have a few pictures of that and a picture yeah. of me hunched over in one of those uh, small passages so i'll uh, put all of them up right so shameless yep. plug we'll we'll put those up on our uh, bantam and instagram and uh, that's where everyone can find us so okay wonderful uh, let's take another short break with some soundscapes from egypt <laughs> 
uh, what do you have for us this time? Navin? This time we'll uh, have a little bit of uh, worship at the Coptic churches. Ooh, uh, okay. Two of them, two of the oldest Coptic churches in uh, uh, Cairo. We'll right. have a little bit from there. You'll hear uh, prayers being chanted in uh, the Coptic language as well as in Arabic. Nice. And, uh, we'll come back after that. Sounds great. Okay. We'll be right back. actually when you was standing there and uh, you know the priest is saying prayers in arabic and people responding right and then you realize that the name they're using for god is actually allah it's pretty awesome oh yeah but they yeah, yeah. they mean the christian god not yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah these are christian prayers well okay <clears throat> wonderful so you know on on the subject of the multiplicity or not of gods uh, i think uh, you know what little i know of uh, egyptian history tells me that akhenaten uh, had quite a big role uh, to play in in all of this so let's jump into your next segment uh, oh yes um so we talk, we're going to talk about this king um yeah. of the 18th dynasty uh, this pharaoh um he when he came to the throne he was uh, called amenhotep the 4th okay now a uh, little bit of uh, you know uh, understanding of um egyptian mythology right hmm. and we we've, we've 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 learned this in history we always learned that the egyptians believed in the sun god ra yeah um kind of a uh, little more detail on that was the the name of the god was amun ra which mm-hmm. was like a personification of the sun right um so amun ra and osiris and a whole bunch of other gods have they have a very rich mythology yeah and from this is drawn all the um, worship religious practices of the ancient egyptians now Amenhotep the 4th was a very ambitious man. Mm-hmm. Um he comes to the throne and uh like like pharaohs were god kings yeah. right but yeah. um but Amenhotep took it to a whole different level. He basically told the people you know what no more worshiping any of the gods that we've been worshiping till now. Right. Uh we're going to worship the sun but not Amun-Ra but the disk of the sun the sun in the form of a disk okay um and we'll call it's called aten and then he changed his name to aken aten uh-huh. uh, that's why it's called akenaten right and then he he moved his capital away he built a whole city for himself right. at a site called amarna mm-hmm. and uh, it was filled with temples to uh, aten uh, so the old priests of amun were uh, stripped of their incomes and all their uh, temples were destroyed in many places the right. name of amun was um erased from many temples 
and uh, Amarnath was this big, beautiful capital with uh, big palaces and uh, massive statues of Akhenaten himself. Right. And uh, the sun disk um, showering him with blessings. Right. Now, this is a very common uh, thing. Pictures. We will share these pictures as well. Yeah. Um, the uh, one way where we might know Akhenaten is actually he's the husband of the famous Queen Nefertiti. Oh, okay. Right. So, uh, right. Now, Nefertiti is famous for all the wrong reasons because <laughs> uh, very simply in the uh, 1800s, uh, a bust of hers was found right. in a pretty intact situation and it was brought to uh, Europe hmm. and everybody, it was published in newspapers and magazines across right. and suddenly right. people saw this is a very lifelike uh, bust and so when people could see the face of an ancient queen right. she became really really popular um, that bust is now in a museum in berlin okay um so we did not see it uh, but then that was that was nefertiti she was um Akhenaten's queen is this the same solomon and nefertiti nefertiti no that's a different one that's right? probably a different one okay yeah okay. so uh, so yeah, so we had these two. Uh, I mean, he had other wives as well, right. and uh, he was king for seventeen years. But this was, as you might imagine, right? This was not a popular move because right. literally before him, for about two thousand years, people had been worshiping, and they were really invested in worshiping all these other gods. Right. And this rich mythology that was there was part of their beliefs. Yeah. So it was very difficult for them to kind of digest this whole thing. Right. So. Um, not only did he did uh, Akhenaten change the uh, principal deity, he also made Nefertiti his co-pharaoh. So it was like they were oh. they were ruling together at that point. Right. So after his death, she was uh, she was pharaoh for a while, but she kind of uh, brought things back because she uh, returned to the worship of the older deities. Okay. Mm. It's kind of um, it would also have been like a power thing where she had to do that to remain in power. Right. Now, what's also interesting is um, Akhenaten's son by one of his other wives is the famous pharaoh Tutankhamun. Oh, okay. Who, the boy king. The boy king who yeah. came to the throne after Nefertiti. Right. So that's where Akhenaten fits in, right? That's a very interesting story on how he got people to worship the disc instead of the uh, sun god himself. Yeah, and I, I don't think, I think the sun god was... Uh, personified but now I'm using my Assassin's Creed knowledge <laughs> right uh, but uh, one of the interpretations of the name Amun is also the hidden one uh, so I don't think you you show Amun Ra in uh, sculpture form as often as you would the other so you know you'd see a lot more of a uh, lot more representations of Horus and Osiris and all that did, did you <laughs> Absolutely. No. So yes, yes. There, but there are representations. He's okay. shown holding the ankh in a hand, in one hand, right. and the other staff, which is uh, the sign of prosperity. And okay. he's shown with the. Uh, he's got these two uh, tall um, feathers on his head. Right. Uh, golden feathers. So th yes, there are depictions of him. Okay. But he's always represented as a disc. So if you look at a picture of Horus or you look at a picture of Osiris or Hathor, mm. on top of their head, there is always a disc. Right. And that is because they are all gods belonging to that same pantheon. Right. And that's kind of, that's how Ra is always. So what, what Akhenaten did is he took away the man behind the symbol and retained the symbol mm. and made himself the face of the gods. Right. right. So that was, that was like his power play. Right. But clearly it didn't, uh, Win him many fans. 
but but here's why we are talking about it right now right i had a very uh, intriguing idea hmm. on what would have inspired him to right. you know make that disc god right 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 so imagine this ah well let's talk about the breakfast i had in uh, egypt <laughs> okay. when we did this hard right? left turn <laughs> okay <laughs> so one of my favorite things that i had for breakfast almost every day when i was in egypt was uh, a plain omelet okay now a plain omelet is a plain thing it doesn't um, seem to be very special but in egypt you find these eggs uh, that are from uh, the country chickens these are not your uh, okay. um, not your broilers they are the actual um, local native uh, breeds so yeah sort of not uh, genetically engineered hormone it, yeah, injected yeah. and all the rest of it so these small brown eggs right, right? so which means they are a little more pungent but they are also a little more tastier yeah. than your regular yeah. eggs mm. right so every morning i had this beautiful golden disc that was placed <laughs> before me right <laughs> all right now i see where i'm going <laughs> as i was eating this right i could not help but think if i were akhenaten and i was eating this for breakfast every day no wonder i would want to worship uh-huh. it right so right. that so this is entirely my theory <laughs> that that's where akhenaten got the idea of elevating the disc to right. the status of a god he must have had some delicious omelets <laughs> in those days so there he made the disc the god right well I mean, the, the convenient thing with this theory is the only man who could uh, say otherwise has been dead for like 4000 years <laughs> Brilliant. Oh well, yes. So yeah, so that's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Hakenaten made an omelet god. Fair enough. And and you know, it's it's also uh, interesting to note then that it is probably the only breakfast that is responsible for the downfall of multiple kings and queens because <laughs> you know, there's that theory that goes around that Tutankhamun was uh, ultimately assassinated or poisoned at least because. he was resistant to going back to the worship of amundra yeah an omelet kill kings <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's take a break there thank you for that uh, navin uh, what soundscape do we exit this with um so this is this is going to be a really short sound clip um when we went to uh, the oldest mosque in um, cairo hmm. uh, mosque is built um, in the 900s Ooh, okay. Um, there was so this is like practically proto-Islam, right? Only three hundred years or so after the Prophet. Oh yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, so there, we were just sitting in, soaking in the atmosphere, and a young man came in, and he was uh, he was singing this song. Hmm. Um, this is an Islamic poem, okay. and uh, it was just really beautiful. I managed to capture a few seconds of it. There's not much of it, okay, but it's really beautiful, and that's what we'll share right now. Nice. So this was just. a chap that walked in and spontaneously sang a song yeah and he had his friend his friend was recording him on his mobile phone as he was singing it ah, okay. but it was quite beautiful so yeah. okay. Uh, okay. i managed to get a bit of it so we'll hear that let's get into it Here we are, and uh, instead of going talking a little bit more about Egypt, right now we're going to go into a diversion with Rishi. 
Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I thought I would do a diversion that is a little bit topical. That's been in the news mm-hmm. a little bit. So, uh, as you know, Daniel Craig's uh, final, final Bond movie is uh, slated to come out in a few months. Uh, it's called No Time to Die. And uh, I think last week, well, we're recording this on the 23rd of February. So, last week, uh, Billie Eilish, uh, the one-time YouTube sensation now superstar, uh, recorded a song for it the song is called no time to die and i know it caused quite a kerfuffle on twitter as everything does um so you know i i i'm a bit of a bond fan although those movies have not aged well at all but uh, uh i just went down this trivia trap uh, followed a twitter link and uh, somebody's done some research so i just thought i'd share some interesting trivia about okay. bond songs oh, that's interesting right. so um the bond franchise is unique because it has a song uh to go with every movie and the song plays in its entirety during the title sequence right, right? the right. iconic bond pointing at the screen and shooting and yep. the circle closing in uh so here's some stats uh with no time to die by billy eilish we now have 24 bond songs mm-hmm. only 18 of them uh have the song title such that the movie and the song title are the same Oh wow I would have thought every single one actually had the title in them right No so there are <laughs> exceptions uh, to this uh, there are certain words that get used a lot so uh, there are actually nine song titles movie titles that are about life and death as you would expect so mm-hmm. no time to die license to kill a view to kill uh, right um, there are a couple of movies uh, and uh, a couple of songs I should say uh, that are about the world so the world is not enough is one of the more modern ones um there are a number of songs uh that are about precious metals and precious stuff so obviously <clears throat> uh golden eye and diamonds are forever uh, you know those gold those kinds of things gold finger man with the golden gun yeah. right um interestingly the only country that is mentioned in the title of a bond movie and also in a song is Russia exactly so yeah, exactly. from Russia with love uh, also very very few people have sung multiple numbers so yeah. the record for uh, the most bond numbers sung goes to Shirley Bassey who sung 3 uh, and this was all in the 70s so she sang like diamonds are forever and what not right and she uh, sang them over a 12 year period because the uh, dif- the time difference between the movies was like 6 years at a time so 67 oh, wow. 73 and 79 nice right um and then uh, the last one is there are only uh, no time to die becomes only the second bond number with the word time in it ah interesting so some homework for our listeners and for you which is the other one ooh so let's leave it at that let's leave it at that all right we'll take a short break now and when we come back we'll hear a little bit more about my egyptian adventure we are back all the talk about james bond reminds me of uh, something that happened to me when i was in cairo okay i actually had a james bond experience uh, we went and watched the southern light show and that's the that's exactly where there's that whole scene set in uh, spy who loved me 
Oh yeah. There's a whole chase and kill which happens there. Right. Uh, and what was really interesting is uh, in the movie when you're watching that uh, bit. Right. In the background you hear the narrative of the sound and light show that's happening. Really right. enough. They have the exact same narrative going on today. Wait, what? It's terrible. That was in 1977. It is not aged well at all. It's yeah, it's but 43 years they've yeah. been playing the same tape. Absolutely. The exact same words. Well, I mean, you know, talk about reruns because they've had the same damn pyramids for 5000 years. They're <laughs> <laughs> not going to change the script in a hurry, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right bring it back um so the uh, you know the divine omelet apart uh, you you forgot to be thinking now uh, you know the uh, breakfast that toppled the dynasty um i know you aren't a foodie but you are somewhere on the see i have to be very careful about this stuff uh, you are somewhere on the uh, gourmet spectrum shall we say Right. Okay, I'm not going to acknowledge that, but yeah, I I get where you're going with this. Okay. No, so I mean, uh, you know, I have to ask. Um, I know you really like to explore local food and local customs right. and right. and all this stuff, and we do it all the time in Hyderabad here at home. So, what was it like? You know, you were at a loose end in Cairo for eight or nine days. Uh, what did you eat? What surprised you? What delighted you? We yeah, uh, uh, we had a whole bunch of food. We like we ate. right from like you know right on the streets with the poorest of the students right uh, right up to we had a whole rich carlton meal experience uh, but in this whole thing right uh, what really hit me hard was uh, how vegetarian friendly egypt is hmm. so if you're vegetarian and you want to visit egypt don't worry because there are options everywhere Ooh, and okay. yeah i mean one would not imagine this right but yeah. what we learned was that all the staple food is all vegetarian like the staple breakfast the right. staple egyptian breakfast mm-hmm. is falafel oh okay with a bunch of dips right and uh, arabic bread the egyptian bread right and which all is of a this, flat bread not which a, is a loaf. flat bread yeah. it's like the the ones that you use for shawarmas where you open right. it up and you fill it up with stuff it's like a pocket right that's it now this whole thing is vegetarian it's fully vegetarian yeah right you do this and you have it with curd and that's it mm. that is an egyptian breakfast and the uh, most filling egyptian meal that you can have and you have it either for lunch or for dinner okay. is koshari okay which essentially is uh rice vermicelli and macaroni boiled together to make like a that's the base oh. and then you have a curry a vegetarian curry right. to go with it right. uh, usually made of lentils Right. and then you have a spicy sauce and then you have a bunch of fresh vegetables um like a salad mm. and mm. a few pickled vegetables now this is a complete meal right and here's what really really um, surprised me the local koshari joints mm-hmm. are all they're all exclusively koshari which means they don't have any other meat products they sell only this koshari right so okay. without saying so they are all vegetarian restaurants right oh and interesting you find this everywhere right so it's the easiest thing in the world to get by as a vegetarian in egypt and that for me was really mind blowing right because just by definition arab country so you would think right. okay lots of kebabs oh, lots of meat, meat yeah. and all of yeah. that yes there are kebabs there are there's like a fabulous world of meat out there right but you have no problem finding uh, good wholesome vegetarian food wherever you go brilliant and 
I mean, I've I've been to a couple of uh, countries in the Middle East, although I've not been to Egypt. That was not my experience. Oh, maybe it was just the meals I was being given because I was a bit more sort of green behind the ears and uh, more mm-hmm. of a tourist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, meat was always the center of the meal with some accompaniment. Absolutely. I think this is an Egyptian phenomenon. Hmm. It has, uh, um, uh, what you're saying is absolutely true. Meat is part of every dish uh, right. wherever you go. Right. Uh, but in Egypt, it is not so. Interesting. And it was, and people don't, they don't even bat an eyelid when you say, hey, you don't want any meat, you just want to uh, eat vegetarian food. They're quite happy to uh, accommodate you. Very good. And the other part was also that uh, Cairo is a world city. It's not, it's not the back of beyond. Right. So, which means that you can get really fantastic Italian food or um, yeah. pizza. We, I've had some of the best pizza I've had in my life in Cairo. Interesting. Right? And okay. again, all of that is made from scratch. So, which means that you can make it as fancy vegetarian as you want right. as well. So huh. yeah, so that's that's my big takeaway from Egypt. My big food takeaway from Egypt is that uh, if you're a vegetarian, don't even mm. worry about visiting Egypt because it's really brilliant. Like you right. have a range of choices of food. I, I guess you you do need to be a little bit adventurous though. <clears throat> uh, meaning, you know, you you should. I'm assuming this wasn't served at whatever hotel you were staying at, you would have had to go out and figure out where the crowds are going and eat at the local joints, etc. Well, to be fair, my the hotel I was staying in was also quite popular amongst Egyptians. Okay. So, which means they had the traditional Egyptian breakfast. Oh, right. the one thing I missed out about the traditional uh, Egyptian breakfast is something called fool, mm-hmm. which essentially is um, beans. It's, uh, it's like, it's basically like a rajma curry. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Like, right. So, and that that is also part of the breakfast. So that which is, is also vegetarian. with your uh, falafel and your with the pita falafel bread. and the pita bread pita and like the dips. Bread, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you had a bunch of uh, seasonings like you could squeeze a lime onto it. Nice. Or two. So, um, yeah. So that was there. That that whole setup was there mm. in the breakfast. Mm. So which meant that yeah, we didn't have any problems. Of course, I had the omelets every day. <laughs> sure. <laughs> You know, when you were when you were describing the koshari joint, for example, I immediately thought of the tiffin centers all around Hyderabad. Oh yeah. Where you, you may get two or three things. They do those two or three yep. things really well, but that's all you get. Absolutely, that's a brilliant yeah. analogy. That that's pretty much what a koshari joint is. Nice. All right. Okay. Thank you, Naveen. Um, I think it's been a very interesting. Uh, uh, experience just hearing about some of these offbeat facets of uh, Egypt. I'm sure there's loads more to talk about. Oh uh, yeah, there's a lot. We'll, we'll be doing <laughs> bunches of this down I'm, I'm future sure episodes. Yep, but yeah, yep, this is brilliant talking about this. Uh, thank you for the patient listening, uh, Rishi. Not at all, not at all. That was fun. Um, and I'm sure, uh, you know, needless to say, we will put up uh, some of your photos, uh, maybe some audio and video clips because we are trying video this time. Um, uh, on our socials. So watch out for that, folks. And uh, until next time, this has been The Pantomime. Thanks for listening. We are The Pantomime, Naveen and Rishi. Check out our website, pantomime.com for extras and photos from today's episode. They are available on your favorite platform, including Google, Apple or Stitcher Podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe if we've managed to intrigue you and please leave a rating and a review. Leave us your thoughts on anything we've discussed here today. We await your feedback and any questions you want us to answer. Ideas for future episodes are also welcome. (laughs) 